Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello there. Coming up on the podcast, Tracy Garbutt is blind. We'll chat with him about the job the city is doing, clearing ice and snow from sidewalks. St. Boniface Councillor Matt Allard will weigh in on that too. Plus, electric buses for Winnipeg Transit. And science writer and weirdologist Chris Rakowski on China landing on the dark side of the moon. Please rate this podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Tracy Garbutt is a great guy. He is a certified vision rehab therapist at CNIB. Uh, he's a marathon runner, and uh, he's blind. He can't see. And he has been uh, consulting with the city. Well, let me get Tracy on first. Hi, Tracy. Good afternoon. Hi, Al. How are Hi. you? Great. Thanks for doing this. So um, what's the word I want to use? You were helping the city by letting them know about their sidewalk snow clearing and the job they were doing. I think we talked last year about this, and you were one of several people that were sort of working with the city to try and improve that, correct? Yeah, yeah, we, there was a few of us working on it. And um, now uh, I believe, and Matt Allard's going to join us later on electric buses, I believe he is now uh, in charge of the Public Works Committee, so I may ask him, about sidewalk clearing as well. We haven't had a ton of snow, but you were saying the city didn't get off to a great start as far as you're concerned when it go comes to sidewalk clearing. No, it uh, it started off a little rocky, and I think now I think things have picked up and uh, things have turned around. So I hope, uh, you know, it is a process, and I think that uh, it's going to take a while for things to come together. Yeah, one of our global news reporters, uh, Kevin Hirschfield, is going to join us at about 2.15. He's been chatting with a disabled person who got hung up on the snow on a sidewalk the other day. And, uh, you know, as I said to Jeff Creer at the end of his show just before this one began, for most of us, it's not a big deal. But when you can't see, when you're blind or when you have a disability of another kind... You know, snow on the sidewalk that shouldn't be there or, you know, continues to be there for a long period of time, it can have a real impact. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, especially with someone traveling with different devices, um, even for myself, um, I can trudge through a little bit more and uh, deal with some of the hazards. But if you're in a wheelchair or even if you're using a walker or any kind of mobility device, you're going to run into a lot more problems. So the, the snow has to be cleared a little better. Now, this is just your opinion, but in your opinion, what seems to be the biggest problem when it comes to clearing snow off sidewalks in Winnipeg? When it doesn't get done properly, is it just they're not getting out quick enough? They're not doing a good enough job when they do it? What are the, what are the issues that you, uh, you feel are, are at play here? Well, I think um, it's it's getting out. Uh, it's the priority system, I think, that, that runs into problems as well because you'll get Portage Avenue and your main routes done pretty quick, but the people on the side streets might not get taken care of for a while. Um, and for myself, I live on a Crescent, which is a priority three, and um, it hasn't been done at all yet. So that, that caused me a little problem because there's no way of to define where I'm actually walking, and I'm walking on the road. So it, it makes for a bit uh, a bit tricky situation. 
Is this another, we're going to talk a bit about this today uh, with the electric buses and and other stuff, you know, the transit uh, safety shields. We talked about that yesterday. It seems like Winnipeg's slow to get things done, right? They do a lot of consulting, a lot of looking at a problem, and not a lot of action. Or when we do take action, it's often so far down the line. Do you get that sense with this, or is it is it just something that's going to take some time to get right? Well, I think right now there has been a changeover of... Uh, for snow removal in the city so I think once the team gets established I think things will happen it it is a process but you're right I think the the process needs to be sped up sometimes and you know um, we're not strangers to snow so you know we should probably try to set a better example yeah no kidding I think it's important, too, that we have conversations like this once in a while, Tracy, not just about snow clearing, as we're talking about here today, but so that people who don't have disabilities better understand the challenges that people with disabilities face. Because I think, you know, um, we don't think in those terms, right, until we bring it up and start talking about it. Like, I don't know. I, yeah, exactly. I always I always thought the city did an okay job with the sidewalks, but then yeah, if you're in a scooter or or in a wheelchair or you're carrying a white cane and can't see where you're going, yeah, it's a big deal. For sure, you know, because they could do like if we have a lot of snow and it could be plowed really good, and say a big snow chunk gets pushed back onto the sidewalk, the average person is going to walk around it. But if you're in a wheelchair, you might not have enough room to get around it. The sidewalk could be perfectly clean, but there's going to be those issues sometimes that, you know, that are going to happen. It's not going to be perfect, but we just have to work on that whole system. And and I think when, you know, the city is looking at um, mapping things different and prioritizing stuff. So I think if that can get established, you know, I, I think our system could be better. You work every day with people who have lost their sight or lost some of their sight. I'll bet you that is a big learning curve for those people, right? Going from being sighted to having limited sight or being blind, no sight at all. They realize really quickly what we're talking about, don't they? Yeah, and I mean, some of those people do. I mean, they're prisoners in their own homes sometimes, unfortunately, because if they are newly blinded, it takes a long time to learn that process and learning how to use the white cane and and just having the courage to be out there on the streets. Are we getting better uh, keeping in mind people with disabilities now? Are we getting better at that? I, you know what, I meet a lot of good people on there and I'm waiting for a bus and, you know, people ask me even what bus I'm waiting for and, um, you know, if I'm not quite at the stop, people seem to be, you know, I think generally people are pretty helpful. Yeah, you're an amazing guy. Uh, people may remember Tracy's name from other times when I've chatted with him because he's a marathon runner. Have you got some marathons planned, maybe even some this winter in, in warmer climbs? Are you going to hop on a plane and go and run anywhere or what's what's your plan? <laughs> You know, taking a bit of time off of running, I did Boston last April again, and uh, now I'm going to take a little bit of break, but uh, I think I'm going to stick to maybe some shorter races and runs, and uh, this is probably one of my first winters in, I don't know, 13, 14 years. I haven't actually ran in the snow this winter yet, so it's been um, a bit of a, a holiday. Hey, I want to have you on soon to talk more about something else you're involved in, but just give us a quick sense of uh, of what it is. I want to give you this opportunity to to talk a little bit about it. For sure. It's called Phone It Forward, and CNIB is just trying to get uh, donated phones in so that we can put them in the hands of, of clients that can't afford them. And um, with technology today, it's amazing with some of the apps and free apps out there. Um, it's 
it's making people so much more independent. And even just for snow and stuff, like today I use my GPS app to help me get home because uh, it's just a little tricky in my neighborhood with the snow and stuff. So uh, it just it got me uh, in the right direction. So our whole program is to take donated phones and refurbish them and get them out to people that can use it so they can be more independent. Phone it forward at CNIB. You bet. All right, so if people have some old iPhones kicking around, they don't have to be super new iPhones either, but any smartphones kicking around, CNIB will take them. Yeah, we, we definitely have a, a protocol of uh, of what we want. Right. They can call me. They can actually call me because I'm going to be um, heading this project at CNIB, and um, I can talk to people, and uh, they get a tax receipt as well from it. So there is a benefit to them as well. Excellent. Well, I'll have you on soon, and we'll we'll talk more about it. And your friend and mine, Maggie Lee Grant, I mean, she tells me all the time how the iPhone changed her life. She uh, is blind. And the things that she can do with the help of an iPhone, incredible. It is, it is. And, uh, yeah, she's definitely put those things to use. And uh, kudos to everybody that uh, can uh, use them and help themselves out with uh, day-to-day stuff. All right. Tracy Garbett is the guy to talk to at CNIB. Tracy, thanks a lot for this, and we'll talk soon, okay? All right. Thanks, Hal. Joining us now is St. Bonaventure Councillor Matt Allard. Matt, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for doing this. Um, so we want to talk to you about electric buses. Yesterday, uh, I mean, we're going to wait and see if the city votes them in, but we're uh, pretty sure they will. These uh, safety shields for bus drivers on, on Winnipeg Transit. And today we're wondering about electric buses. It, it has taken so long to get the shields in place um, now electric buses, this has been talked about for a long time. Where are we at on the electric buses for Winnipeg? Well, yeah, so uh, we've uh, we've already tested uh, electric buses. So there was an original pilot, and I guess this would be uh, a round two of that. And what we do know about electric buses, according to the to the documents that are on the agenda for the public works meeting on uh, next week, is that uh, electric buses are, are still more expensive than the diesel buses that we have. They're more expensive to purchase. So diesel, diesel runs at about $600,000 with an electric bus at $1.2 million. The other thing that happens is the diesel bus can run for 22 hours, where the electric bus technology is only having them run for about 12 hours. So there's other operational uh, impacts to, uh, to switching over to a bus fleet, and that's uh, other operational uh, considerations like uh, needing the charging infrastructure in order for these buses to operate. So I think it is it is good for us to move forward with this. And I have to clarify on um, uh, next week at the at the meeting, we're going to be uh, hopefully referring this uh, to the 2019 budget process. So that doesn't mean it's a done deal. It means uh, basically um, if we vote to to do that, it'll be public works committee giving the nod to the budget committee saying. Let's go ahead and uh, investigate uh, uh, these 12 to 20 electric buses. See, and I think that's part of uh, why people, like, I'll just read you a, a text message I got. And I get these text messages and emails and phone calls every day. This one's from Darren. Darren, how reg- yeah. uh, regarding electric buses, can we get a press conference with transit management, city and provincial government officials to tell us what they've been doing on this topic for the last five years, 2019, and still no clear plan in sight? This is beyond amazing. Is there not an example to be set here? Would be interesting to know how other cities deal with this. And, you know, it's the safety 
safety shields. Today, it's the electric buses. It seems like us here in Winnipeg, we just kind of drag our feet on this. We talk about stuff all the time and rarely make a decision. And then when we do, it takes three years to get all the safety shields in the buses. Yeah, well, in terms of the safety shields, uh, so we uh, we had a recommendation to look into it, and uh, we had to test them out. So that's been done. And what you see on the agenda for next week is uh, we have a recommendation. Uh, we know that uh, one of the two shield models is preferred. And uh, and again, we have this uh, uh, hoping for a, a referral to the 2019 budget process because at the end of the day, uh, there, there are a lot of requests. Uh, on the on the uh, on the city of Winnipeg budget, and it's uh, it's up to that budget committee to decide, you know, what what can we what can we pay for and and what can't we pay for. And in terms of electric buses, uh, if you read the documents, we we do know that they're a little bit more expensive to to run and operate today, uh, but we do need to get ready because with energy prices going up, with the carbon taxing uh, starting at uh, other levels of government, we do need to be ready. To, to shift one day when uh, when electricity becomes cheaper than diesel, but uh, you know I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that um, you know the taxpayers who are listening uh, don't want us to go uh, you know whole hog into a system that's more expensive without knowing 100% that that we're going in the right direction and that it's going to be the best thing for taxpayers. But I think you made some really good points there, though, Matt. I think for us to think that diesel is the future compared to electric buses, I I mean, you're right. we got to make sure we do it right, but I don't think you can say, okay, maybe it's going to be a little more now to do the electric buses, but diesel's not the future. So I think at some point we're going to have to make the changes that other cities are making. It's it's kind of a no-brainer because you're right. Carbon becomes part of it. It's not just about the cost now. It's about the cost down the road. It just seems to me, and this is just me talking now, Matt, it just seems to me like... Here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba, sometimes we just don't move fast enough on things. Well, we do. You know, when it, on the flip side of that, uh, Winnipeg often doesn't move quite as quickly as other municipalities on some issues. And we often get the benefit of other jurisdictions doing the testing for us. And then we get, uh, you know, in Winnipeg style, we get uh, really good value for a dollar. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, on the... Um, uh, and there are programs coming down with a new carbon pricing, and that's going to make maybe shift the equation uh, so that, uh, you know, it's putting electric over the top. But for now, um, you know, 12 to 20 electric buses, we know right in that report that it's going to be it's going to be more expensive to do that than uh, than running diesel. And at the end of the day, uh, when we're having to make decisions at City Hall, um, we have a, a limited number of dollars. So. Uh, you know, the question becomes, do we want, you know, it almost, it's almost as, uh, as uh, almost like, do we want two diesel buses or do we want one electric? Because that's, that's pretty much what the pricing is right now. Yeah. One more question on this, and then I'll leave it alone. Um, I heard this morning, and I want you to tell me if this is true or not. I heard that there were uh, studies done or uh, research was done on electric buses, and that is now outdated. Techno- we've moved past all the time we spent researching that because it's now old information, old technology, it's done. All that money and time spent on that is out the window. Well, okay, so it's not completely out the window. The technology is obsolete, but there's been a lot of lessons learned. And now there's new technology available, and that's part of the consideration. You know, do, do we want to be buying, uh, you know, 100 buses uh, with today's electric technology uh, and then find out that next year, 
there is a, a national or international standard on, on charging facilities, and we have 100 incompatible buses. So I think you got to walk before you run, and I think we're, we're going at this in a way that's responsible for taxpayers' dollars, and it's also positioning us in a place where uh, if that shift does occur and electric does become a better bang for your buck for the taxpayer, then we'll know how to do it. We'll have the data. So I think we're going in the right direction. Okay. No, that's a fair point. Um, one more thing. I talked to Brian Mays today. I thought he was on Public Works. He told me you are. Is that the case? Because we're talking about sidewalk snow clearing today, and we've got a story coming up uh, at 2.15 with one of our global news reporters. Uh, a disabled person got hung up on uh, on some snow out there. Do you think the city's doing a pretty good job of clearing the snow on sidewalks? I know this is something that uh, has been looked at over the past year or so. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I think we're doing a good job. I think there's always work to do. Um, I recently started to uh, walk, bike, bus uh, a lot more uh, when I when I commute, when I go to work. And so it's something that I've been mo- noticing uh, more and more. And um, uh, our, our snow clearing policy is essentially P1 street, so priority one street, priority one sidewalk gets done. They're supposed to be done essentially at the same time. And I've noticed uh, personally that doesn't always occur. And uh, so I encourage anybody to uh, to be on the lookout for situations where that's not the case, because certainly we want to be following our city when it takes no clearing policy. Yeah, but it's one of those things where I think we can always try and do better, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, I, I think there's always opportunity for, for higher levels of service, and we're constantly looking for innovations on how to deliver service better. Um, and I think we got to keep working on it. Hey, Matt, thanks a lot for your time today. I really appreciate it. For sure. Thanks for the call. Matt Allard is the counselor in St. Boniface. A Chinese spacecraft has made the first ever landing on the far side of the moon, also known as the dark side of the moon, in the latest achievement for China's growing space program. The lander will gather lunar samples on and below the surface that could be very different from anything found before. But the big thing is not what's on the far side of the moon, but what's not there. It is shielded from the tsunami of technological signals sprayed from Earth. So from there, sensitive radar can listen to the cosmos without all the interference being emitted on this planet. That is Global News reporter Eric Sorensen reporting. With its usual flair, NASA is returning to the moon as well in the next few years, partnering with private companies, hoping to rekindle some of the excitement from its first lunar missions almost half a century ago. Oh, it's beautiful, Mike. It really is. But the Chinese and other countries are mounting a challenge to the traditional space powers. China, Japan, India, they're all creating their own industries in the same way because these are of great strategic importance. The Chinese are expected to go to Mars in the mid-2020s. And joining us now to talk about it, Chris Rakowski, science writer and weirdologist. Good afternoon, Chris. How are you? Pretty good, Hal. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year. Excellent. So uh, here's my first question. Why are we going back to the moon? I know it's not us, it's China. I know it's the far side of the moon, but kind of, I feel sort of, you know, been there, done that. Why are we going back to the moon? Well, you know, uh, as uh, the newscaster mentioned, it is kind of strategic, uh, and it's a necessary step for other things. I mean, the Chinese, uh, you know, are probably going to beat everybody to Mars, just from the sounds of things. Um, And... uh, uh, another little clue is that one of the uh, experiments that's actually on this uh, Chinese lander called Chang'e um, is that they're going to have a little miniature greenhouse on there, and they're going to be growing some uh, some wheat and things like that. Not on the you know the scale that uh, 
you know, uh, Matt Damon grew uh, potatoes uh, yeah. in uh, the, the movie The Martian. Right. But it's uh, it's something that hasn't been done before, and uh, there's some speculation that the Chinese want to put a, a base on the moon, which would certainly, you know, be in advance of anything the Americans have ever tried. You know, we, Americans have focused on the space station and the shuttle and things like that, whereas this is a technologically uh, advanced um, project that the Chinese are doing. I mean, they actually had to do something a long time ago, too. They actually put uh, a satellite um, up uh, in orbit, stationary orbit around the moon, because on the dark side of the moon, of course, they, you actually, they actually can't send the signal directly. They had to put a satellite beyond the moon and have it hang there, and then uh, so they could bounce the signal down to the surface of uh, the dark side of the moon or the far side of the moon. Right. So it's actually technologically quite uh, sophisticated, and you know they've got some ambition, and uh, it's uh, it's interesting to see because you know for us going further into space, we're going to have to do some very technologically difficult things. So the Chinese, then, it seems to me, what you're saying and what I've been reading and and what I heard there with uh, Eric Sorensen. The Chinese are actually ahead of us when it comes to Mars and Jupiter, and I know they're looking at asteroids as well. Um, that's interesting that very quickly the Chinese have become the big player in space. Well, you know, it's been a, a joint effort for, uh, for quite some time. You know, the space station was built with the cooperation of a, a lot of countries, and certainly China has, uh, has played a part in that as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Chinese have a different focus, and uh, they're just trying things in different ways. I mean, they were behind, obviously, in, in getting to the moon, but they're trying to make up for lost time. And an uh, interesting development also, and I've already seen some speculation on this, is that um, the Chinese also uh, launched a, a new uh, uh, ship uh, on, on Earth, on the ocean, with a rail gun. And what that is, it's a, uh, it's a device that propels things at very, very fast speeds using uh, mag- uh, magnetism, electromagnetism. Um, and this, the idea is that it's been part of science fiction for many, many years, that you put a rail gun on the moon, you don't have to have um, rocket propellant and that type of thing, but you can shoot things back towards the Earth, packages of soil samples, and maybe send some small satellites and things like that. So, I mean, this is the, uh, what China is doing is, you know, part of a lot of the science fiction that we've been reading all these past 50 to 100 years. Isn't that interesting, eh? Absolutely, and it's it's exciting to see. And, of course, we had another development, too. We had uh, uh, an, a NASA spacecraft uh, take photos just uh, on New Year's Day of the furthest away object in our solar system that we visited. That's something called Ultima Thule, uh, which is uh, an, uh, an asteroid um which is very strange shaped, shaped like a snowman with, with a, a round top and a big bottom. And uh, that's the, the furthest we've ever been able to go in space and visit so far. In fact, the New Horizon spacecraft that was launched and took these photographs was launched before this thing was even discovered uh, back in 2006. So, uh, you know, there's some fascinating stuff that's going on in space uh, over the next little while, and it, it's a great to be part of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, 2019 is really shaping up to be quite a spectacular year for space and astronomy. Well, Chris, you're a science writer, but you're also a weirdologist. And I got to tell you, whenever I talk about space or, you know, in this case, the Chinese landing on the dark side of the moon, I have a few listeners that'll start texting and emailing and calling and saying, Hal, it's all BS. You know, it's uh, they never landed on the moon and they're not landing on the moon now. And of course, there's all kinds of speculation as to what's on the dark side of the moon. Do you have a favorite? 
favorite conspiracy when it comes to space, Chris? Well, Pink Floyd certainly uh, talked about the dark side of the moon already, but um, uh, it's interesting that they, uh, they went, uh, you know, people have this idea that the dark side is always dark for one thing, and it's not because the moon simply just goes around uh, on its axis the same rate as it goes around the sun, or it goes around the earth rather. Yeah. So it actually does get all the sun. Um, uh, but I, I, it's a little more rugged. In fact, that's another technological challenge in that the Americans landed on the near side, which is a lot of these, you know, we see the man in the moon all the time, which is shaped by these dark masses of the, you know, they call them the seas and oceans and whatever, and they're outcroppings of magma and things like that that, mm. that cooled a long time ago. But there's none of that or very little of it on the far side, so they actually have to land where it's pretty rocky compared to the uh, side that we can see. So, again, that was a technological challenge. And, uh, you know, there's been speculation that there's, you know, um, alien cities and, and things like that on, yeah. the, on the far side of the sun. You know, who knows? Maybe that's where we're going to be building a lot of uh, our own bases. You know, if the uh, Chinese build a base, the Americans build a base, because it's shielded, as the newscaster mentioned, from a lot of the electromagnetic energy. As a matter of fact, uh, NASA is putting uh, its own telescope, the James Webb, t- Webb telescope, uh, in a in the stationary orbit uh, above the dark side of the moon hmm. so that it can actually look deeper and further into space. So it, who knows what's back there, but we'll certainly have a better view of the cosmos from out there. Hey, uh, Chris, thanks a lot for doing this. I always love chatting about this stuff with you. Thank you. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.